ladies and gentlemen, we're going to take you all the way down in New Orleans this time. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to a very special edition of Hard in the Paint. It is my pleasure to welcome Mr. Kenny Murphy Jr., the father of Trey Murphy uh, of your New Orleans Pelicans, um, a basketball player in his own right, played at East Carolina and has been a coach as well for a number of years, including coaching his son. Uh, Mr. Murphy, thank you for joining us. Uh, David, thank you for having me. Uh, um, I really appreciate it. You are um, one of my biggest fans. Uh, you are a great supporter of Trey. Um, so I'm just happy to be here and uh, have this conversation with you. Well, I think it's, I, I, I really, um, when I saw Trey for the first time when he was at UVA, because, you know, we talked about this offline. I'm an ACC guy. And, um, you know, we both have these Carolina roots. Um, and, I saw a lot of versatility in his game, and, and I think that he's just grown so much. And we'll get into that over the course of this conversation. But I want to give folks just some of the, the, the back um, story on him. And you, you've been with him on this journey the whole way. And as a basketball father, you have it from a different perspective because you're not a basketball father who just had an aspiration. You've played it. You've seen the ins and outs of the highest levels of basketball. What – when you saw him ready to pick up the game in earnest, for real, where it wasn't just, I like to play basketball, I want to do something with basketball. How old was he? And, and what did you see in him that made you believe that he was serious about it? So um, as with all kids, um, you know, uh, and, and you know, people think that Trey came out of the womb with a basketball in his hand. He, he did not. It was a struggle to get him to play. Um, he started at age five and, um, that first year of basketball, I, uh, we're from, we're from Durham and we were part of the church. So the church had a little, a little basketball team. And, um, I went to practice one day, the first practice and the director all of a sudden got sick. So he asked me to fill in. And then ever since then, I was filling in for the next 12 years. But that year I coached that team at five, Trey did not hit one point the entire year. We had 10 games, um, did not hit one point. So I told Trey at five, I said, Trey, you would never embarrass me like that again. <laughs> so from that point forward, I, that next year, Trey and I was in the driveway working out. We were working out every day, every day, every day. But to answer your question, Really, I would say he really started getting serious about it. In my mind, it was after his sophomore year in high school. That's when it re he really put work in. Um, I would take him to the gym, but it was almost like I had to drag him to the gym. I would take him over to Duke, and we'd work out for a couple of hours, and I may have another uh, uh, parent's kid with me, and we'd work out, and it was very intense. It was very intense. There were times where – I would have the the old the, the other guy do a drill. He'll do it, and then Trail do it, and I'll say do it again, do it again, do it again. And then one day, he took the ball and he threw it against the wall, and at twelve said some words to me that I didn't particularly like. And I went to him and I jacked him up against the wall, and and the the, the father of the of the other kid was looking in horror, like he's going to kill his own son. <laughs> so <laughs> I was very very hard on Trey, but. 
after Trey's sophomore year in high school, Trey didn't play a lot. He didn't play a lot his sophomore year. And I, I really, I mean, I really couldn't understand why he wasn't playing because at the time, although he was about five nine, five ten, I knew that he had the skills to, to play in college. Um, so, and I told Trey that Trey, part of it was coaching, part of it was you. Because when you get your opportunity, you weren't taking advantage of it. You were not handling the ball as well as you could handle the ball. You were not hitting shots. So you put the onus on, on the coach to play you or not play you. And after that season ended, that next day, Trey has been in the gym at least five to six days a week ever since that day. So back from age 15 until now, he's in the gym five or six, seven, six things. So about 15 has really, really got serious about basketball. Let me follow up on something you just said, because I think it's important for a lot of young basketball players to understand what you said there, that you've made the decision entirely the coaches to make with your play. You, you haven't done the things to, to, to influence that decision. And I think a lot of players do look at it that way is like, well, the coach is going to decide the playing time. No, you decide the playing time, how you practice, how you show up, how you commit every day. That's how you get playing time. The coaches, it's not arbitrary. Those minutes are not just given. It, there is a design and you have to make yourself part of that plan. Exactly. And, and, and to your point, and that's one of the things I coach this AU team from five until 17. And one of the things I always told my players is, like, don't leave your faith and your future in somebody else's hand. You have the opportunity to take uh, control of, of, of your destiny. And, again, if you're not putting in the work, it's going to show. It is going to show. But when you get your opportunity, if you put the work in, you don't have to worry about it. That's how you get confidence is the work. The work gives you that confidence. And if you're not putting in the work, and up until that time, I think Trey was doing just enough to get by and he would rather play the game. And he just wasn't at the point where I wanted him to be. I would tell him to do push-ups every night. I said, did you do your push-ups? He would say, yeah, I did 50. Two nights later, I said, you do your push-ups? He said, yeah, I did my 50. I said, you, you couldn't do 51? You couldn't do 52? <laughs> so I think kids, they, you, you give them – you give them a number and they want to hit that number, but you have to exceed that number. If you want to be special, you have to sacrifice and do special things. And it, 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 I just go back to, I said, did you do, could you do 51? Could you have done 52? Could you have done 53? Because you're getting stronger. If you're doing your 50, you're getting stronger. So there's no reason to think you couldn't do more. Absolutely. So he becomes, he starts to develop senior year. He's at Cary Academy. He's dropping 25, 7, shooting 50% for the floor, 40% for three, 80% from the line, almost 90% from the line. What is it like then? Where are the scouts coming from? Who's starting to pay him attention? And how are you trying to shepherd him through these moments where he's about to make a very critical decision in his life? So um, so going into his senior um, season, he had no college scholars at all not in any whatsoever. And the thing of it was this Trey was undersized, uh, so to speak. Um, he was very skinny um, going into a senior season. He was probably 6'4", but he was very uh, skinny. He could handle the ball, but his strongest suit was shooting the basketball. So people saw him as a 6'4 shooter, 6'4 shooter, and who really can't handle well enough to get his own shot. So that kind of 
unless you saw a vision in him and 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 were was around him to see his work ethic, you probably weren't gonna give him a shot. So that summer, that April, his first offer came from Ryder University. Ryder University um, um, offered him a scholarship. Um, after Ryder offered him a scholarship, um, it's funny. Um, Virginia, my 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 cousin sent Virginia a mixtape of Trey. Sent him a mixtape of Trey, hitting all these shots and just working out. And Coach Williford, who's his associate head coach, um, asked my cousin, "How do I get in contact with his dad? Because he's somebody that I think we may be interested in." So Coach Williford called me. They came down for unofficial visit. So they saw Trey work out. And when I do, it was one of the workouts that Trey has ever had. Trey missed three shots in about 50 minutes. I mean, he missed three shots in 50 minutes. He probably shot, I don't know, probably 100, probably 100 shots. He missed three shots the entire workout. Very impressive. The next day, we had a tournament in South Carolina. So Virginia called the tournament director to say, I need Trey Murphy's team playing on this court at this time because I got to watch him and I got to get back to UVA. So, so, so they came down to watch Trey first half. Trey had six threes, was just lighting it up. Second half, they put this little bitty guy on Trey. He was probably five five. Got up underneath Trey. Trey got all three shots. Got all three shots. Fifty <laughs> three shots. Of course, did not hit any of them. At that point, Virginia walked away saying. We just don't think he's physical enough to play in the ACC. And I, and I got it. I, I, I got it. It all, it all makes sense and stuff because I knew that. I knew it was a stretch. Um, but I knew in the future, Trey was going to be really good. So when I told the coach, I said, you'll be back. I said, I guarantee you'll be back. I said, I, I, I said just as, as soon as he starts growing and developing, you'll be back and stuff. So that was kind of how it all started. Um, Ryder was the first. Um, West Point was the second. Um, uh, second offer, the Naval Academy, um, Princeton, Columbia, and mind you, these are all academic institutions. Right. Um, the one that he really wanted was Rice because he felt as though Rice met the balance of academics and athletics uh, because going into high school, my aspirations and our aspirations for Trey was for Trey to get into a good school because I told him, I said, Trey, you will have to get an academic scholarship or an athletic scholarship because I'm not paying for you to go to school. You'll go to the Army, but because I'm not spending one penny for you to go to school, you're too smart and you're too, I think you're too good in basketball not to get a scholarship. So if you don't, that's on you, son. So um, our goal was for him to go to a good academic institution. And with Rice, we felt as though, Okay, you're gonna make a hundred thousand dollars a year. You're gonna get a great education, get a good job, and you're gonna live your life. So <laughs> that's all that happened. Well, then you get to Rice, he makes that decision, and again, he's not a highly touted guy. He's not somebody that people are putting on watch lists as he comes in. Um, but he has some success immediately at Rice, setting freshman uh, shooting records. For field for three point percentage, what what about what eight points a game, something like that, his first yep. year? Mm-hmm. Yep, eight points. In that adjustment, what that adjustment from high school to college? How much of that for him was made a little bit easier, possibly, by the fact that 
he wasn't recruited by all these bigger schools and that you yourself had put him through moments where you said, you got to do more, you've got to be better. Do you think that it wasn't necessarily as humbling as it might have been for a guy who had all the accolades coming in, all the expectations? For him, it seems like the pattern has been, it's a confirmation of what you set up when he was 12. You have to work for this. Yeah. You know, it's, um, I think that definitely plays in, 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 into it because Trey, again, was never someone who was highly recruited. He was never on anybody's watch list, never went into any kind of all-star games and stuff. So when he went to Rice, mind you, before he went to Rice, I told Trey to Trey, this is something to think about. Are, do, would you want to go to a prep school? I said, because I think physically you're not ready to play college basketball and I told him that I'm very frank with Trey um I said your your feelings be damned I'm going to be honest with you every step of the way I'm going to tell you what you need to hear as opposed to what you want to hear so Trey said no dad I want to start my career I said, okay I said okay all right you do you so when he got there he was uh the first day of practice Trey called me he said dad it's really tough they are so big and they're so fast and they're so athletic and I don't know what to do. I said, son, just continue to work, continue to work, continue to listen and you'll be fine. I said, it always works out. I said, you are grounded. Um, we've laid a great foundation for you. You are a great worker and more than anything, you're a great kid. And, and, and that's what's going to get you further in life than any kind of basketball. But just work, just continue to work and do what you've done to get you to this point. I said, Trey, three years ago, nobody knew your name. So make them know your name and stuff. You know, I always always get kind of, I felt a certain kind of way when we go to these tournaments and and all of these big time players in this class were getting all these accolades and stuff. And Trey never really, I mean, Trey really kind of looked up to those guys and stuff and it kind of bothered me and stuff because I wanted to say to Trey and say, Hey, you're going to be just as good as them, if not better. Stuff. So we were in the same class at Darius Garland, uh, Marcus, uh, Marvin Bagley, Kobe White, all of those guys and stuff. I said, I said, you continue to work hard. God, God blesses you. I said, you can be right there with them. When you when you look at that, and one of the things that we also see a lot more with college basketball and, and college football in general is the influence of basketball or football parents and, and what they do and how they speak with coaches. For your thoughts, as somebody who has been a coach and a player, and as a parent, did you feel like, I'm going to let him do him, but if he needs me, he calls me, I'm his dad, I'm his coach, you know, I've coached him, I know his game. Did you feel like that was the role that you wanted to take at that point of just kind of stepping back and let him mature as an adult, young adult? and be there as a resource? Or did you feel like you still kind of had to be um, as active uh, potentially as you were when he was younger? So um, I think I was there to um, uh, give uh, advice, give advice and just give observation. After every game at Rice, it, it, with Rice it was tough because the games were on – like the Conference USA Network, and then sometimes they weren't even broadcast, and we couldn't even get to see him play. So it was tough, but on the games that I was able to see, 
I would always go back and I would rewatch the tape. I would rewatch him getting into positions, what he was doing off the ball, and just add things and just give him pointers. Trey, that's a shot fake. If you jab, get him off for you, he backs up, you shoot three. And stuff, just stuff like that. I never tried to coach him. I would go to the game and the majority of the, the things that I've done was not necessarily – it wasn't directed at the coach. It was mostly directed at Trey. I, it, 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 it's funny because his mom is like she hates to watch games with me. She hates to go to games with me just because everything he does, I always criticize it. Or I'm just like, why didn't he do this? He has to get in front of that guy. He has to get that ball. He can't let it come off of things and stuff. So to, uh, to answer your question, it's more – I was there as a resource, but I did provide what I saw, but I let him figure it out for himself. As he got to college, I kind of dialed it back. Because, again, at this point in time, I'm no longer coaching him. So I have to let others and have to let him grow as a person because, again, I'm not always going to be there. So he has to. And I think one of the things that hurts young kids is that I think the parents have a little too much influence on them. Um they uh, go to the coach and say, okay, my guy, my, my kid needs touches and so forth. Never, never, never was I one to do that and stuff. So that's not – after the season's over with, we would I, – I, I would meet with the coach to see, okay, so what is what, – what are you seeing, Trey? What is your plan and stuff like that? And then um, if it matched up, which it was only um, um, one meeting we had with the right coach after the season, it was just – just to check in, okay, what's your plan? Because I knew Trey had started getting bigger, more physical, mm-hmm. and he was a better player and stuff. And he said, Trey is going to be the centerpiece of our team and stuff. So, and, 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 and that is, and, and, and that's the extent of, but like me with coaches and just, I never was one to do that. Did never wanted to do those things. So. It's interesting. There's kind of like been this reverse phenomenon, like in the nineties and early two thousands, it was the basketball moms in the NBA. Remember, you know, you saw Allen Iverson's mom, you saw LeBron's mom, you saw Shaq's mom, you saw all these basketball moms. In the last decade, it's become much more about basketball dads, LeVar, and, you know, and that impression of these, these fathers behind their sons. But what we've seen, and not what I think has been a positive, is what we're seeing is these fathers are – not necessarily dominating their son's careers, you know, from Kenyon Martin having his son in the league. Now you see all these more fathers who are seeing their sons make it to this level. And what they've done, it seems is that number one, they're preparing them for the business side of this. We're seeing a lot more young men coming to the league prepared for the understanding the business of professional basketball and what teams really want from you and what you can expect from your relationship with the team, but also demanding a certain level of, respect and autonomy for those young, for their young, you know, for their children and saying, I know what my son can and cannot do. I know what situations work, but not in a negative way. You want the best for your child. And I think that, you know, a lot of things that we saw that people called LeVar crazy for a few years ago. Well, now he's got two sons playing at the highest level of the NBA and you don't see him at all. You don't see LeVar on TV talking stuff. He did what he wanted to do. He got his boys to that spot. And I think that to me, it's a great thing to see more and more fathers engaged in this way. And do you feel um, a responsibility as a father in these in these circumstances to make sure that you stay attached in a very positive way with him um, and be as he continues to grow and mature as a professional? 
Oh, absolutely, absolutely. You know, um, David, Trey's been very blessed. He's been very blessed to be around great coaches. Um, I started him off. He was coached by Coach Parrott at Rice University, who saw something in him that a lot of other coaches didn't see. Um, when I talk about Coach Parrott, Coach Parrott is one of the – he coached James Harden in high school. He was Coach James Harden high school coach. But as far as the offensive mind, oh, my God. It, it, it seems like whenever he calls a play, they score. They score. He went to Virginia. He had Coach Bennett. Coach Bennett is the most one of the most genuine people you will ever meet. So my job was easy. It was easy because I put he was with great coaches. He was with great coaches who cared about him first and as a person and second as a basketball player. So with me just being there just to be, you know, it's hard sometimes for me to take off that coach's hat. But I always have to remember that I'm, I'm dad first. I'm dad first. So if Trey needs me after a tough game, I need to be dad. I can't go in on him about the box out he missed or the, the ball, the, the layup that he, he blew. So I, I have to be cognizant of if Trey's 21 years old, he's still, he's a young 21. And, and when I say young 21, he's a young 21. <laughs> he's given to turn 22, but he's a young 21. So I have to be dad and have to be positive because one thing I've learned in this whole process is how much, I wouldn't necessarily pressure, but how, uh, how much under the spotlight these young men are. And coming into the NBA, it could eat you up. And I can see very, I can see very easily how if you don't have a support system around you, you can, you can, you can very much go downhill very, very fast. So, from from that sense, we've just been trying to be there for Trey and just take away some of those day to day responsibilities, like being there for furniture and getting everything situated with the apartment and stuff, and just doing anything just to take that burden off of him because NBA is tough. It it, it will chew you up and spit you out. And you have to have that support system in order to do and be the best player that you can be. He makes the decision to transfer to Virginia after three very solid years at, at Rice. You get the well, he actually only played two years. At I Rice. mean, two. Excuse me. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking of, but you get that th you transfer because you get that opportunity. You know, you don't have to skip a beat. You get to go to Virginia. He goes to step up in competition, obviously in the ACC. One of, like you said, one of the best coaches in college basketball from on both sides that we see from Virginia players traditionally is, A, they're going to play defense very well, and B, they're going to think the game very well. Very similar to a Villanova-type program. Mm -hmm. um, you know, motion-based offense, everybody gets touches. Um, there's not a lot of ISO. You know, you don't center it around any one player in particular, but defensively, it's a group defensive effort. It's, it's playing on a string, understanding principles and concepts. Was that the attraction to Virginia? To when you think about, okay, Trey really is getting close to potentially having a shot here. We need to put him someplace to refine some of these these rough edges. Yeah, well, um, I think when it came down to it, um, and it's funny you mentioned Villanova because that there were. Those were his, his two choices. They, they, those were the finalists, Villanova and Virginia. And um, with the Virginia piece, it was about the defense because that was one of the things that um, we saw as a um, um, uh, something that he needed to improve on. He needed to improve on being able to defend. 
Um, and Virginia, um, when you look at everything, they're one of the best defensive and not the best defensive um, teams in the country. Weren't really worried about the offensive end of the court. Um, we were more so worried about the defense and, and just the defensive principles uh, that they have. And just instilling things in guys. And if you look at a lot of the Virginia players, when they're at, they're at Virginia and then they go to the league, like DeAndre Hunter, Malcolm Brogdon and stuff, you probably didn't see them offensively like that at, U, at, at UVA. But they had that defensive foundation and uh, just the principles and, and, and how to defend. And that was the that was the biggest thing because again, you can't defend. It's very hard to get on really anybody's court, and nonetheless, a NBA court. I don't care. You, you would have to shoot sixty percent from three in order to warrant somebody keeping you on the floor if you can't defend. Absolutely, that's the fastest way to get on the court is to be able to stop other people from scoring. And I think that's something that a lot of again, a lot of players in general, not just young players. I think a lot of players in general just forget. They think that it's a one sided game. No, the defense is what's going to get you. At, at yeah. what point dur during that season do you start getting the idea that, hey, I mean, I have to do four. Three might be all we got to do here. Is, is that, you know, were you getting contact from external um, sources or was it was it a gut thing? Was was it with Coach Bennett and him talking about, look, I'm getting you know info from on trade that people are excited about him. How did that process go in building up through over the course of the season? Because it's not a decision you just make and say, I'm going to go pro. There has to be some type of influence and, and information that you take in. Yeah, well, um, it, it went back to the summer when he went. It was a COVID year. He went back. He was at UVA. I think he got there in uh, late June, early July. I think it was like mid-July. And um, they started doing like workouts um, and I would ask him after every workout to how to go and stuff. And he said it, it went well and stuff. So I said, you, are you feeling comfortable? You think you, you're good on this level? He said, dad, I'm fine. So I, they would work out. I said, so who's, who, who's the best today? He said, me. And I said, really? And he said, yeah, me. So when the season started, that first game, they played Towson up in Connecticut. He um, didn't know whether or not he was going to play or not because we had requested a waiver, and he didn't get the waiver until the night before. He got the waiver like 5 o'clock. They played at 11 o'clock that next day. So he got the waiver. Um, everybody was excited for him to play. He gets in the game, and he misses his first three, misses his first three. Then he goes on to hit his next three threes, um, ends with nine and a half, and then the second half, he hits three more threes, um, has a dunk where he takes the ball from like three-quarter court line, two dribbles, dunks on a guy, two hands, and gets an and one. So he ended with 21 that game, six of eight from three. That next day, that next day, um, one of my friends called me and said, man, I just watched Trey, and you know, I think he got a shot in the league. I'm like, man, what are you talking about? I said, you, have you been drinking today? And he's like, no, I'm serious. So they played that Friday against San Francisco. That Friday against San Francisco, West Coast Conference team in the league with Gonzaga, much longer team and stuff. Trey hits no threes. I think he has four points. Um, of course, you know, I'm upset, mad at him and all this and that. That was Friday. Saturday. I get a text from a guy that says Trey is 
uh, right now ranked as the 24th best prospect on NBADraft.net. I say, yeah, I know you've been drinking and stuff. So I go to the website. I see his name. I'm like, oh, wow. That was around the 1st of December. Around mid-December, I get a call from an agent to say, my name is so-and-so, so-and-so, and I'm interested in representing your son. I'm like, representing him to do what? And he's like, to, <laughs> for the NBA draft. I'm like, man, come on. I said, we, I said, I said, I said, nah. I said, we, nah. I said, I said, are you really serious? He said, Mr. Murphy, I'm telling you. I said, he has the limb. He can shoot the ball. He has the athleticism. I'm telling you, I would not be surprised if he's not a first round pick. And I'm like, okay, yeah, you really, you really on something now. So um, fast forward two weeks later, I'm continuing to get calls. So it's about mid-January. Trey calls me. Trey said, Dad, I'm getting all these DMs from all these agents and stuff. What do you want me to do? I said, I said, the next one that DMs you, you tell them to not contact you again. You are in season. Do not contact you. If they want to talk to you, they want to talk about you, they need to contact me. And as a matter of fact, when you let me know who these guys are, the people who contacted you, they wouldn't have no shot of representing you. Because that's not cool. They need to go through the parents first. I feel as though, in order to, in order to, to in order to um, get the ball rolling on that. So it kind of happened around, I'll say, first of late late December to mid January. That's when it really started getting really, um, really heavy. And they weren't contacting Train anymore. Um, so and I wasn't telling him any of the conversations I was having with the guys. I was not. He was not privy to any of that stuff. I wanted him to focus on the season. And forget all that noise because if it happened, it happened. If it didn't, it didn't. So he was he wouldn't ask me about it. I wouldn't tell him about it. Um, we didn't really get engaged to that until like after um, UVA lost in the, um, in the in the tournament. That's when we really started getting heavy. And basically, my goal was really just to weed out who I thought was somebody we wanted to move forward with. What was important in, in the agent selection process? Because that is a difficult thing. That's trust. That's somebody who's going to be um, taking the financial lead and, and trying to bring things towards your child. That's somebody that's going to be entrusted with um, you know, advising you. Like I said, ultimately, these decisions have to be trays and, and, and the family as y'all work together. But this is a person that's going to going to give their recommendations about what the best situations are, what the best outcomes are, what your career is going to look like. How was that interview process for you first and foremost to try to weed that group down? And then once you bring Trey into that, you know, how, what were his questions? Yeah. So, so our biggest thing was we needed someone that we felt good about and we knew we could trust. Um, UVA helped in that process in that um, they have a number of pros who, um, who, who are represented by different agencies. So, I felt as though that their recommendations were were good. Their recommendations were good. Um, but for me, it was just a feel of just talking to the person. Okay, so, and my first question to them was every agent, so how did you find out, Trey? And if they would have told me that they watched them at Rice, they were off the list because I know they were lying. That, that wasn't <laughs> something you were doing. You weren't watching Trey at Rice. If you were, you and couldn't watch Trey Rice. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I mean, you were nobody was watching Trey Rice. It was one guy that met me at a game. 
that told me that he said he thought that Trey had a shot. He said, I think Trey has a shot. And I don't even remember his name, but he was the one guy, but he lived in Houston, so he would go to all the right games and stuff. But I would ask him that question, and they would tell me, and they would tell me, said, well, you know, I looked at him at Rice a couple times. I watched full film on him and stuff. I said, okay, thank you. I'll be in contact with you. But, and then the guy, like the bigger agencies was like, I'm not going to, I'm going to be honest with you. Never heard of Trey Murphy until he came across our desk in early January. And that's when we started digging into him, started looking at him. And then at that point, the bigger agencies were saying, you know what? This guy has everything. He has everything. And I'm almost certain he's going to go top 20 because they were looking at Cam Johnson. They said Cam Johnson and Trey, they were seeing some similarities um, of the two. So it was just a, a matter of, and for me, it, where Trey was, I thought that Trey needed a bigger agency as a mouthpiece. I thought he needed the CAA, the Excels, um, the Clutch, the Octagons, and, and, and those agencies and stuff. Um, just because of the fact that Trey was a relatively unknown. I mean, he shot 50, 40, 90, only one of 11 kids in the in the history of college basketball to do the 50 40 90 but he still was unknown just because i think he didn't have a lot of exposure at rice and then it was a COVID year so he really didn't get a lot of exposure um at uba i mean didn't play in front of crowds scouts couldn't go and watch and stuff so it was very 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 it was a different it was it was a different type deal than it normally was so i felt as though he needed a big agency to 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 do more talking for him and stuff so i know in retrospect that's not the case um but i didn't know what i didn't know and and, and you, you know what they say you don't know what you don't know and stuff so so that was the thing and we ended up with excel um sean kennedy um, um and what i did was trey is when i whittled it down to like the final four or five I gave Trey, I gave them Trey's number so Trey could develop that 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 relationship with them. So Trey can say, you know, Dad, I know you like this guy, but you know, I'm really not feeling him and stuff. Because again, it's his decision, it's not mine. Right. I'm just there for guidance and support and just to try to weed through as much as I can with 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 what I know with my 55 years of living on this earth of, of people and stuff. So uh, but he was most comfortable with um, Excel, um, Sean Kennedy, um, and that's who, that's who we ultimately went with. Now you're going through the workout process. Obviously, there are a lot of teams that, that want, are interested. There are a lot of potential fits because certainly somebody with his skill set, he's, he's easy to drop into most teams. You ask for a guy with length, like you said, can shoot the basketball, which is the most valuable skill in the NBA. If you have somebody who's who's shown that they can play defense at a high level. Um, when you're going through that workout process, you meet with New Orleans. I'm sure at some point you met with the with with, with the Pelicans and and that the, the staff at the time. Willie Green probably wasn't still involved. Maybe when that first part of that came up, you had heard about New Orleans externally. I'm sure you know, like a lot of folks, and you'd seen what had been going on. What were your impressions? of the organization before you got to know the Pelicans? So when Trey went on his workout with New Orleans, I think it was his third workout. He went on his workout with New Orleans. And um, the agent had told us that New Orleans really liked Trey. Uh, the, 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 it was like six teams that 
he put on he put on a presentation that he thought that Trey was going to go to, and New Orleans was one of them. And that the first day that he came into town, he had dinner with um, with Griff and Trajan and Bryson, and I could just tell after that interaction, Trey was just like he was on cloud nine. He just felt so good about. And this was before the workout. This was before the workout. Um, the night before the workout, he just felt so good. After the workout, I said, how was the workout? He said, Dad, I tore it up. He said, I really had a great workout and stuff. So um, so I felt good that he felt good about New Orleans. But I guess to answer your question, what I'd heard from New Orleans and just being just in the news and just being a college and NBA basketball person that it seemed to not be the most, I guess, organized spot. It just seems like it was a lot of just stuff going on and stuff. It was always something going on. Um, that was my initial impression without, cause I didn't meet any of the front. I didn't meet anybody. I didn't meet anybody. We came down here back in September. So I didn't know anything. I know Trey was really excited and, and whatever noise or whatever was out there, he wasn't cognizant of that or he that it didn't mean anything to him because New Orleans was very high on his list. It was, it was very high on his list of the teams that he would like to go to. And that's just based on the relationship that he developed in a short period of time with Bryson and Trajan and Griff. Um, he just felt good about where they uh, how they viewed him. Um, but for me, I didn't meet him, but I was just going on like the J.J. Reddick thing. You know, he's saying that they aren't good people and they deceive me, all this and stuff. So, and regardless if it's true or not, it's there. And it, right. it, 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 once someone says it, regardless if it's true, it's always going to be there. So you think about that. You think about the coaching change. You think about all these things and then you draw your own conclusions and it's just human. You're just human nature. People don't wait until they get into a situation in order to draw the include. You draw your conclusions prior to, and then you adjust them as need be. And I think that's what that, I mean. I think that's what that I did. I didn't go on it with any kind of reservations. The only thing I told the agent, I said, I want him to go to the place that loves him the most and who believes in him because I knew Trey was going to take time. I knew that. I knew that as his dad, people were thinking he was going to come in with the ground, hit the ground running. I'm like, it's not going to happen. I know my son. I know what he needs to work on. I know how this is going to play out and stuff. And, and the agent said, well, if you if you want to go to the place where they love him the most, he'll be a Pelican. <laughs> because that's what he told me. So on draft night, gets drafted by Memphis, but did y'all already understand that when Memphis was drafted him that he was going to New Orleans? We did. Yeah, we did. We did. We did. Because, you know, as a matter of fact, David, when they slid back, when they slid back, I said, in my mind was, okay, I don't think they're looking at Trey seriously at 10, but at 17, they're definitely, they're definitely targeting him. I didn't have this from any information from anybody, but that was just my thinking. And I know, <laughs> I know Trey was saying, he said, Trey said, okay, they playing with fire. They playing with <laughs> fire and stuff. So, <laughs> Because you know, if if things, if and we saw one curveball in the in the in the top, let's say twenty picks, and if that curveball wouldn't have happened, Trey probably wouldn't be in New Orleans. 
Right. We probably would not be in New Orleans and stuff. I mean, just based on the the, the day of and the, the communication that we had with this other team, he wasn't going to be there at 17. So you, the draft happens. Willie Green is now in place. You, you know, came in just a couple weeks before the draft. But now you, he gets that opportunity to meet with Willie. And, and then you go to summer league and that relationship starts to develop. And from us as observers outside, you could see immediately that that group took to Willie. What was it about and how long, you know, what was Trey's feedback when he's telling you he's in Vegas and he's doing these things? What was his feedback first off on just Willie and what he brought to the table in comparison to some of those great coaches that you've already talked about that he had been under? So, you know, I I think, and and we went out there with Trey for summer league. So, we could see it firsthand, but what I was and what Trey was communicating with me is, you know, Coach Green. He said you don't see a lot of head coaches coaching in summer league. He said he said that's the first thing. Yes, he's a first year coach, but you don't see head coaches coaching. So what the first thing that Trey said to me in regards to Coach Green, he said, you know, Dad, I really like Coach Green. He reminds me of you. He's going to demand a lot, and we're going to give him a lot. It's just the way that he comes across, the way he communicates, the way he is able to get the best out of you. Because he sees in, he sees seeing things in you and, and, and saw things in that group that they didn't necessarily probably think they saw in themselves. And that was the thing that I noticed, like, on the defensive end, they were so connected. They just called chaos out there. Yes. It wasn't their, it wasn't their offense. It was the defense. I mean, deflections. And I told Trey, I said, Trey, I said, Herb, this I told him in summer league, I said, Herb is the best defender that I've seen with my own two eyes in my life. Now, mind you, I grew up in Durham. Mm-hmm. I've watched Michael Jordan. I've watched Dudley Bradley. All of these great defensive basketball players. And with my own eyes, I've seen Herb Jones. And I said, Trey, you look at the stuff that he does. And it might not show up on the stat book. But the reason why you got that steal is because of her. He did this. So to, to be able for you to do that, I said, Najee, Jose. I said, Jose going to be a wild card. I said, you watch what I tell you. Jose going to be a wild because he has this fearlessness and just this swagger about him. And I said, you know that from playing against him three times or well, two times at Georgia Tech. We used to hate Jose. Jose was so cocky and just so arrogant, he would hit a three and then he'd start strumming the guitar and he would just destroying UVA. I remember they played at UVA and Jose probably had 21 points and just so arrogant. UVA won the game by one, but and they would play down in, down in at Atlanta and Trey had a really good game. They put Jose on Sam, who was UVA's leading scorer, and then Trey got off. But Sam didn't do anything because he was up underneath Sam like, I mean, he was on him like anything. But Coach Green allowed them, he just allowed them to be themselves. And I and and, and when you look at what Josh Hart was able to do while he was here, he allowed them to be themselves and be something that people didn't necessarily have to pigeonhole them into. And that was the biggest thing with Najee and Trey and Jose and that whole group, Kyra. I mean, they just they were connected. They were just a connected bunch that just played so well. And it was a credit to Coach Green and what he saw in them and what he was able to get across to them. 
Well, it's interesting when you talk about Herb, one of the things that I said during the summer when I saw him was he had a Rodman-like motor because he doesn't get tired. Mm -hmm. He's constantly moving. He also reminds me, and I've talked to Antonio Daniels about this, he reminds me a lot of Ron Artest. Not in the physical build. Herb is a slight guy. But Artest was so good with positioning and anticipation and had those very strong hands. hands. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You, that hand strength of, of, of Ron Artest at his peak as a defender to be able to deal with post guys, be able to deal with perimeter guys, keep you in front. That's what That was that goal. Was You ain't getting around me. You're going to be in front of me this whole time. And Herb does such a masterful job of positioning in that regard and anticipating. And then just his ability, like that, the mental part of it, because to be a forward and block 60 shots in a season and most of those be jump shots that you are blocking, that is your innate sense of timing and understanding of your man, how they get up off the floor, where their shot reaches its peak, all of those things. That comes from study, but that's also something that you can't teach somebody. That's a mental processing that is just a gift. And there's so much natural defensive ability that goes along with what you can clearly see how intelligent he is. Oh, my God. Herb, Herb has like, like I, the mind of Draymond Green, the, the, the defensive anticipation of that, of that Ron Artest and that physicality that he does bring. And then that that relentless motor like a Dennis Rodman, like Herb has to me, you have a couple of guys on this team that have star potential in this group. Yeah. And, you know, one thing that that, that, that everybody just touts about Herb is his IQ, but he doesn't get enough credit for that. His IQ is on a totally different level. And summarily. You would see plays where he would instruct Trey where to be. Mm-hmm. He set a screen. Trey get a three. You see that now. I mean, and he doesn't care if he scores one point. It's all about the win. That is, I mean, he is, he's just a he's just different. He just he's just different. He's just different in the sense that I don't think I've ever been around a guy who just sails out for the win like that. Doesn't care about the numbers, doesn't care about the accolade, just want to do his job and help his team win. Doesn't care who gets the credit. He just wants the W. It's just, it's just amazing to see. You look at that group of guys, that foursome of guys who just basically came in together. And it's tough for Kyra because Kyra's been injured this year. But you take the other four, Najee, Trey, Herb, and Jose, all guys who spent at least three years in school, all guys who, who come from um, programs that where they had to, again, had to build their way up. They weren't guys who started from day one. They weren't guys who had all the press from day one. You didn't hear their names on national levels. And there also seems to be also like each one of them on the spectrum is a little bit different. Like you said, Jose is that amped up all the time. The energizer bunny, he's always got the, 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 the fire. And then you've got Herb, who's calm, cool, and collected, but is relentless at the same mm-hmm. time. Najee is a little more of a, of a tough guy, but also that that straight line athlete. That if you get him in the open floor, he's gonna run you over if you don't if you don't stop him. He's that strong and powerful, like a freight train. And you have Trey, who's a little bit more of Trey got some swagger to him, but he's not a barker. 
He got swag, but he's not a barker. And his game is a little bit more smooth and, and, and allows it to come to itself to him a little bit more. Those personalities as a group, it seems as if as they've gone through their ups and downs this season, as all of them have had their, their moments where they didn't get minutes, they didn't get this, they didn't, or they had bad games. The four of them together, though, have created an equilibrium for each other to kind of as a as a support system. Have you seen that? I, yes, very much so. You hit the nail on the head because I think Trey is probably closest to Herb. Herb and Trey were really close. But Najee is there. Najee lives in the same building with Trey. He's there. And Jose, that foursome, they are, I mean, to your point, they are very close. They're very close-knit, and I think they they feed well off of one another. And so if, 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 if I, I've, I've seen some games in which the four of them are there together, and it seems like they, I, I look back at the, the summer league and stuff, and they trying to rekindle that summer league that summer league swag that the four of them had and stuff. But yeah, the, it's, it's great symmetry between those four. What was it like for you watching him at the beginning of the season? And you said you said it. You knew he, it was going to take time, and the expectations for people him coming in. That three and D designation, which you and I have talked about offline, that I did not like from him for him from the jump, but people expecting him just to be a guy who stands in the corner, catches and shoots. I'd seen that versatility. I'd seen him be able to put the ball on the deck. I'd seen him be able to finish at the rim. I always thought that there was more to it. Did he struggle with that perception early on? And how did you help him stay positive while he was trying to find his space? So, you know, the, I remember the first game of the season, they played Philly. And, uh, of course, we were here. And I remember Trey at the scores tape. He was at the scores tape. It was about six, six and a half minutes left in the first quarter. And I was looking at him. I was looking at him, man. Something didn't look right. Some, something just didn't look right. You know your boy. Yeah, I know him. Something just didn't look right. And when he got in the game, it was almost like he – just was thinking just too much and trying to process everything and just not playing, just not letting everything come to him. And I think it manifested in him pressing. And when you start pressing, you're definitely thinking more than you should think and not just um, um, just out there doing things. And I think that was the biggest thing that I saw when I said, I said, Trey, just, just, just be yourself, be who you are, defend, play your game. If the shot is there, shoot it. If it's not shot fake, take people off the drill. I said, you can do those things. But it was almost like he was like a robot out there. I remember the game when they played at San Antonio, the first game in San Antonio, and that was a game that really and truly, when I think back on it, it really stuck out to me because I remember him getting into the game and he was guarding Doug McDermott, and Doug McDermott wasn't shooting the ball very well, so Doug McDermott went back door. They hit him with the backdoor pass. He got a layup. One or two plays later, the same thing happened. And if you watch that play, Trey is like creeping up on him like he a tiptoe burglar, it's like it's just like he just felt so rigid and stuff. And I said, Trey, you cannot play like that. You cannot play like you scared to scared to fail. It, you, you, it, it doesn't matter. I said, what doesn't matter, Trey? And what I told him at the Trey, at this point, you're not playing that much anyway. So what doesn't matter? Just throw caution to the wind and just be loose and play. 
I say control what you can control. You can't do that. But it was a very, very, very difficult time just because of the fact I think that he felt as though, and he hasn't told me this, but I think he felt as though everybody had high expectations um, of him and for him, and he didn't meet those. So I think it put that extra added pressure on him. And so I said, Trey, you don't owe anybody nothing but yourself. All you owe yourself is to compete, play hard, and have fun. That's it. And right now you're not having fun. I said, I haven't seen a smile on your face all year, all year. You're thinking too much. Just play, son. Just play. And that was just the best. That was the advice that I gave. That was the advice I gave him. I said, Dr. Trey, we're here for you. And one of the things, David, that we've learned in going through this process is that, and I said it earlier, alluded to it earlier, is young kids, they need that support system because we didn't want Trey in an apartment by himself after a bad game or after a DNP and stuff. Just sitting there looking at TV or playing the game, but just thinking about the game. Just let's talk about let's talk about what you went and bought today. Let's talk about um, are you going to sign up for summer school classes at UVA? I mean, think to get his mind off of basketball because again, it could be a unwavering burden on those kids if they don't have that support system. Yeah, given that balance because it's still life. You know, it's your, it's your job and it's important, but you got to have balance. Exactly, and I said, Trey, I said, if you go out there and score thirty points, I'm going to be your dad. If you don't play. I'm still your dad, and I still love you. It doesn't matter. And that was the thing that I think I've grown from this whole situation um, in that I have become more accepting of just letting Trey organically develop at his place. And I said, Trey, I said, your time is coming. I said, the only thing you control is what you control. And for me, once I think I let all of that go to say, okay, it's not Trey's time right now. Trey's time is going to come. And when your time comes, you have to be ready to seize that opportunity. And that is what I think Trey was at peace at. It took a while for him to get there, but I think he's at peace now. He said, and he told me that, Dad, I've just come to terms with, okay, this is where I am right now. And I just have to get better every day. I have to go in the gym because when we're in New Orleans, they have practice at 12. He lives out at like 9.15. He's at the facility by 9.45. So he's at least getting an hour or so of working with Corey Brewer before they start practice. And then he stays after practice. So he's putting that extra work in. Because again, we go back to when he was a sophomore, there are things that you can do better to make that decision not all on the coach. So it's like, okay, they're going to play you so, you're going to play so well, he has no choice but to play you. So I never blame it on a coach. Never, ever, ever blame it on a coach. Never, because again, if a co, if a if a guy, if I'm coaching a guy and he goes up and slaps my mama, I'm gonna play him that game. We're gonna have words after the game, but I'm gonna play him <laughs> because you know what? He's gonna help me win. But after the game, we're gonna have to see one another because you slapped yes. my mama. <laughs> now, as the season is going, gross, was it hard for him when? The team was losing so much and he wasn't playing. Did that because do you because for any player you feel like, well, we're losing. I'm sitting here. I could do something. Just give me a chance. I could do something. That was that was really tough. That was really tough on him. That was really tough on him because he wants to help his team. He wants to be out there with Herb. He wants to be out there with BI. And he's not playing. So it's hard for him to understand. And what I told Trey, I said, Trey. 
when you're on that bench, I don't care if you play one second or you play the entire game. You have to be engaged because as a coach, if I look down on that bench and you got a stank face and, and you're looking like you could care less if you're here or not, you're definitely not getting in the game. I said, but if you're up and you got a towel wave and you're cheering for your teammates and stuff, I might just say, Trey, get in for so-and-so, so-and-so. So, but it was difficult for him just based on how much confidence Trey has in himself. Trey has a lot of confidence in himself, uh, maybe sometimes too much, but he has a lot of confidence in himself. But he, it, it was a tough time. It was a tough time, I think, especially for his mom. His mom was um, not good at that time when he wasn't playing and they were losing. Like, well, they're losing anyway, so why can't – why isn't he playing and stuff? And I told him, I said, you know, I said, this is going to be, believe it or not, the best thing for Trey. I said, because it's going to make him so hungry and it's going to make him be able to seize that opportunity when an opportunity comes and stuff. I said, I said, believe it or not, whatever doesn't kill you makes you strong. I know people, don't, it might not feel that way right now, but he's going to look back on this time and he's going to say, you know what? I use this time as fuel for me to get better and for me to have an appreciation and to say, okay, this is what I have to do. Because coming into the NBA, you don't know what to expect. You think it's like college where these every it's kumbaya and you're close with the, the coach and close with the players and stuff. No, they have families. They go home to families and stuff. When you're there with them for those two hours, that's the two hours. You may not have instances where you go and y'all hang out and stuff like that. It's a business. Coaches aren't going to get close to you like that. It's just it just doesn't happen. So I think that was hard for Trey too because he's such a he's such a good kid and he's such a connector. He wants everybody to be together. He wants to be that Boy Scout that's going to bring everybody in around the campfire. That, that, that's right. That, in dealing with then with Willie and the rest of the coaching staff, did he develop some stronger relationships, their relationship with Corey, their relationship with some of the other staff, and certainly to have somebody like Teaspoon, who is the constant motivator, but also very agenda-based in her teachings, how important have they been in, in, in keeping him going and developing him? Oh, instrumental. Uh, uh, Brew, um, Teaspoon, um, House, Brandon, all of those guys. And, and this is the thing, David, is like we will be at games and Trey wouldn't play. Trey wouldn't play. And we're waiting for Trey in the, in the, um, in the, uh, in the family Presidents, room. Yeah. And, and, and they would come in. They would come over and say, he's coming. He said, he's getting better. I'm, I'm, I'm seeing it every day in practice. They're doing the five-on-fives before games and stuff, and he's just on another level of stuff. And they would come and just that support because they see him every day. They see it every day. It's just a matter of when, 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 um, uh, when that opportunity presents itself, Trey has to be ready. And I don't think they ever waver on him getting the opportunity or being ready to see that opportunity because, again, they're seeing it every day. But they were so instrumental and just so supportive. And they go unnoticed from time to time. But just their just the positive words and just their encouraging thoughts to Trey and stuff. And Trey comes home and he's talking about Corey. He's talking about Brandon and Teaspoon and House and just the different support staff, Jana, the different people who 
give him encouraging words and saying just 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 keep your head up, keep your head up and keep working and stuff. Your time is coming, your time is coming. So so yes, it was very, very important. What has been the best part for you over this last few months as the team got better, as he started to get himself into the rotation and to have his moments. And now you see him closing out games. You see these um, opportunities where even when he's not scoring, he's impacting the game with his defense. He's getting tips. He's getting he's forcing guys into bad positions. Even if it doesn't show up in a bunch of stats, there's this trust level and the numbers bear out that when you put him with the best players on this team, he performs at a very high level. How gratifying has that been for you to watch in that, but also how encouraging has that been for him to say, okay, I do belong here now? Yeah, and, and, and I, I think the biggest satisfaction for me is that he has finally realized that he can impact the game even if he doesn't shoot the ball well. He can impact games with the things that you mentioned. Just the other night against um, the Lakers, did not score a point. But I said, and I, I, I said, Trey, I would, I would guess that you were probably one of the biggest plus minuses in, in, in the game. And I, when I looked, he had the highest plus minus of anybody in the game. Now, plus minus is a stat that it's not is, perfect. Can be, it's not perfect. But it, it, does, it does speak to the fact that while you were on that court, your team did some good things. So I think for us and for me, the biggest thing is that he's he's finally starting to get more comfortable with ways that he can impact the game, as opposed to just scoring the basketball and hitting threes. Like I I, I told him, I said, I, and, and this is one thing I told Trey early on. I said, Trey, when I look at because we had these very frank conversations. I said, Trey, when I look at your stat line and I look and I see zero, one, zero. It's hard for me to play you. It's, it's hard for me to play you. I say, so if I look at that stat line, you better be locking down somebody or you better be getting some deflections. You better be getting some tip outs. You better be, be very, very active on things. So just impacting the game, I think he's taking that to another level to like go to the offensive board, to get a, a game changing put back dunk. Cause, and I, I, I said, Trey, Nothing more exemplified that than in that Chicago game. You probably were a little perturbed that you hadn't played as much in the first half that you wanted to play. You came in that third quarter. That ball came off the rim. One, the dunk was okay. The rebound, that was more impressive than anything. You had to shed Zach Levine, who, who kind of held you. I know held you as well. You wrestled the ball away from both of them and then took one dribble and went up with a vengeance to dunk the ball over Tristan Thompson and Derrick Jones. I said, plays like that. You can make plays like that every game. Look for your opportunity to do that. Those are game-changing plays that you can make. You have that ability to do that. And I think he's made, he's made a more um, concerted effort to make those plays, to be that person that's going to make that's going to make a play, that's going to impact games with his energy and stuff. And again, to your point, Coach Green is, 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 is trusting him more. Because I said, Trey, one of the things that you watch, people do not leave you. The Lakers were not leaving you on, on Friday night. They're not mm -hmm. leaving you. So that's taking one guy away. 
even when they drive, they're still there on you. That just create opportunities for your teammates. I say you just have to, when you get that open jumper, you have to knock that thing down. You have to knock it down. So I think that in itself with him being on the court, I think Coach Green sees value in it. Hell, he put him back on the court with 20 seconds left um, uh, when he knew they were going to foul. So that in itself is just showing the growth and that 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 Trey has had. But not only that, but the trust that Coach Green and the coaching staff has gotten to the point with Trey. Did I see this two months ago? No, I don't think anybody did. I don't think anybody saw him closing games. The other night against the Spurs, you got Jose, Trey, and Hurd closing with Jackson and CJ. I mean, who would have thought that lineup would close a game, a, a crucial game? The Lakers, you got Herb and Trey, two rookies closing it with Brandon, CJ, and, and Jonas. I mean, it's, it, it's, it's, come, it's come really um, uh, um, uh, tenfold of where he was, but I think it speaks to where Trey is going. I think he has he has some growing to do, and I tell Trey, just, just grow every day. Our, our thing, our hashtag, grow every day. Continue to grow. And that's it. Continue to grow. It's not a you, – you don't come in this league and, and set it on fire. Uh, um, you just don't do that. It's only the special ones do that. The guys get picked one and two. And even then, they struggle from time to time. And rookies like – Giannis was 13. We talk about, you know, guys like Giannis, the 13th pick. It took him – it took a while to get there. And I'm, we're not putting that kind of pressure on Trey. But like you said, it takes time. This is, this is, this is a grown man's league. And you have cut, you've not been playing grown man basketball for your life. You having to learn what this is. Right. Trey has really played grown man basketball. I mean, grown, I mean, high level at Virginia. I mean, Rice is a great conference for guards, but you don't have the size. You don't have the length. Um, Virginia was really his one year of playing on a high level as far as playing people who are potentially going to be in the NBA. Mm -hmm. um, that was so he's relatively new in playing at high level basketball. Um, so it's no excuse, but it's just it is it's, it's just a fact. Yeah. <laughs> it's just a fact. Yeah, he, he look the, the fact of the matter is, you know, when he was drafted, he wasn't brought in to be the starter. He wasn't brought in right. to be the starter. So right. that's the understanding. If anybody was expect like you expect him to come in and put up 17 a night and give you all. No, that, that's not a reasonable expectation. No. But you're seeing that potential. You're seeing that it's there that he could very well next year. He could end up being the first guy off the bench as the scorer and being the sixth man. That 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 role is there for him to take. Um, and we'll see if that happens over the summer. Did you hear Coach Green after the um, I think it was after the Portland game? He said he said, yeah, he said Trey could score 30 or 21 like he did. He said. He, he, he said he doesn't have to do that. He said, but 12 to 15 points, he said he's capable. So right then he said, okay, Trey's capable of getting 12 to 15 points a night on a consistent basis and stuff. So just that, and if you look at Coach Green's face when he said that, he said that with conviction. Oh, like, yeah. I know what I see. <laughs> you know, he, with the, one thing with Willie, he does not, he does not exaggerate. He doesn't blow smoke. And he doesn't he doesn't try to give players anything more than what he thinks that they do. And I think that that's a good thing for young players because Willie did, Willie's in that same boat. He wasn't given anything. You don't go to to the Detroit University of Detroit and, and come out of there and, and be a, play as long as he did 
and have unrealistic expectations of who you are and what you do. You better understand your role. And I think that he conveys that very well to these to these guys on this team that they un- and that's the first thing. And, you know, as a coach, if everybody doesn't understand exactly what they're being asked of every night, you cannot win. And I said at the very least that this Pelicans group, no, it's not the most talented team in the league. No, it's not the most experienced team in the league. Yeah, the record is still 32 and whatever. But they know who they are. And having an identity is so hard to find in, in basketball that once you do find it, you better ride it. Right. Because if you look at you look at the, uh, the, the revolution or the evolution over the years, and stuff, when that second unit would, would come into the game in the past, it, you, it would – like go from, if we yeah if, if we if we were up we were gonna be down once that thing you got score. Now they're able to to steady the ship and if not um um, um increase the league at least it's there. It's, it, you can give the starters rest and stuff. So um I've seen the improvement at, over this team and to your point everybody knows what their role is and they accept and, and embrace that role and carry it out to the fullest and stuff. This team, Tracy, this has been the most connected, the best camaraderie that he's ever been in. The Virginia last year was really good, but he said, Dad, this team, it just says good guys on this team. I mean, the locker room is a great locker room. And that's one thing that I always thought before Trey got in the league. I said, I just want him to be in a good locker room. I said, because I said, Trey, you understand before he made his decision to stay in the draft. I said, you understand that. You may go into a locker room, whoever that may be, and you you want to joke around with this guy who his wife just caught him cheating and threw all his clothes out on the front lawn, and you're joking, and he punched you in the mouth. I say, you understand, you're getting into a man's world, but we're just fortunate and blessed that he is in this Pelican's locker room because there's such good men in that locker room. I mean, there are just such good guys. I mean, it's just... I mean, Josh, Josh was Trey's guy. I mean, Josh was his, the, the guy that was, I mean, tried to mentor Trey along with B.I. and stuff. Nikhil was in summer league, hung out with Trey and stuff. When the old guys left, Sato, he was supposed to even go to dinner with Sato and J.D. And, and Billy all the time. When those guys left, it hurt Trey. It hurt him. And I said, son, it's just part of the business. It's part of the business. It's nothing. And you could see how connected and you see how connected this team is. And I think it's just a testament of that family atmosphere that, you know, I know Griff spoke of and people said it, he wanted this right here, but I think he really has it with this team. Now, when you look at New Orleans, the fan base, how they've responded to this team and how they defend this team, um, that relationship with the fan base how does Trey perceive it? And then how have you just enjoyed watching and, and seeing whether it's in social media or whether it's how folks talk about him in general, just that em- people embracing him and wanting him to do well, you know, what is, how has New Orleans been to the family? Absolutely fantastic. From the first day that we set foot in New Orleans back in September, I can say this within all honesty, I've never been to a city that is more, that is nicer, that is more passionate, that is more intense about um, their own. If you are, if you ride for New Orleans, New Orleans is going to ride, Nola is going to ride for you. 
And that's the one thing. It's just the, the passion that these fans have for not only the, the, the team, but just for the community. It's such resiliency here and stuff. It's almost like it's it's just different. It's when people say how do I say it's different, and you have to be here and experience it to experience it. It's I mean it's just the support. I mean you, Chris Connor, Shemit, David Fisher. I mean you guys have rolled for trade from day one, from day one because you see things that others may not see. Um, but Everybody just whenever it's funny, whenever we're at the game and um, Trey's mom sees someone with, with his jersey on, she goes up to him and introduces, we introduce ourselves to him just for that support. See anything with Trey's name on it. It's just that, just want to go over to that person and say, thank you. We appreciate you because you appreciate our son and stuff. Rocky, Rocky is the biggest Trey fan. Um, I think his name is Greg, the We Dats guy. The we that guy. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I mean, I can go on and on and on. I'm in the stands, and people are turn around, turn around at me and say, "Man, Trey looks really good. He looks really good. He looks really good and stuff." But it's just the passion that the city has. I just don't believe it's any other city in the country like this. I, I mean, I, it, it, I'll be hard pressed to see and find another city that rides for their. For their for for their players like New Orleans does, they don't start talking about players once they start not having good games. I saw this I saw this saying. Um, they say they love you, then they hate you, then they love you again. That's New York. That's Philadelphia. I don't think that's Nola. Nola rides for you. If you're down with Nola, Nola is down for you and stuff. But if you're not, <laughs> you're not. You don't want to get on the bad side of Nola fans. You do not want to get on the bad side of Nola fans and stuff. So you do not. I mean, I saw the look on Anthony Davis' face after the game was over when they were here in Nola. He just looked like, man, these these guys are serious. These guys are serious. And and he keeps bringing them up in his press conferences and stuff. So I think they got still got space in it, living rent-free in his hands. <laughs> What's funny to me about that is he had the keys to the kingdom. Yeah. You know what I mean? You, you, when you're given a team, that's a rare thing. There are very few players in, in, in basketball or any sport where they say, this is yours. We are, we are willing to give this to you. And like you said, the fan base was willing to, to accept him as his own. And it just never felt like he, he was on that same page. And I think that that's the identification with this year's team is it feels like everybody who's on the roster wants to be on the roster. And that's all you can ask for, with, right. that they and play so hard every right night. And it's just been, I think it's it's changed, not the fans. It hasn't changed the fans. I think it changed the team over the course of the year. Because I think in a lot of other places, like you say, if, you, if this were L.A., if this were New York, and they got off to that start, a lot of fan bases would have said, to hell with y'all. We'll see you next year. Exactly. It, it, exactly. But the fan base stuck with the guys and stuff. And to your point, I mean, CJ wanted to come here. B.I. is a leader. I mean, he I, I wasn't here last year, but I I don't know if he was doing these things last year. I don't know. He's if grown he, up. He's yeah, grown yeah, up yeah. over the last two years and embraced this. I mean, yeah. I mean, Herb seems like 
he's going to be here forever. I mean, he's going to be here forever and stuff. I mean, it's all these ride. I mean, these guys, they ride and die for this team. And, again, they enjoy playing for Coach Green. They enjoy playing for one another. And they enjoy playing for these fans because after that Lakers game, to see CJ and Najee and Trey and B.I. dancing, Jose, man, you can't can't get any better than that. I mean, you just, you just can't. I mean, and the blend belt was rocking. I mean, can you imagine a team coming in here and trying to win? I mean, with, man, it was crazy. I don't know if you saw what it was like during the playoffs on television when we played, when the Pelicans were playing against Portland a couple of years ago. It's Schmidt sent me Schmidt sent me a video of it. I'm like, wow. I mean, that, I mean, he sent the video. They had all the, the flags. I mean, wow. This they they just want they just want you know. I, I think like any market, like there's one champion. NBA is a hard place, and we know most of the championships are are held by a select group of franchises. If the Pelicans can get there, that'll be fantastic. But we know that's a hard journey. But if this is, becomes a team that you know competes every night, that is a 50-win team, that it has an identity, that, that you know, is, has a chance every year that you feel like walking in the door, we got a chance to do something great. It's these, fam- these fans will never leave that team. They will never leave as long as they feel like they've been given an honest opportunity to compete. And I think that that's, that's what we feel like this year when you watch this fan base and you watch this team. And as you go towards the playoffs now, it's virtual lock. Today, win this game, and that nine spot is is theirs. Um, and, and to be in that spot from where they started and to now have that opportunity for Trey, for Jose, and all those guys, and most of the guys on this team who have never appeared in a playoff series. This is – this. I, I just – I know they have to be excited and and just looking at this and being in tournament time in general, watching the NCAA tournament, and then now going into getting close to the NBA playoffs. I'm sure he's he's really locked in. Oh yeah, yeah. He, I mean, he, I mean, he is just like I said, the the team itself. He just he just enjoyed being and being around the guys. I mean, he just enjoyed being around the guys. And then again, if you like your coworkers. You're going to show up at work every day. You're going to have a smile on your face. You're going to do the best you can do. And that's where, that's where Trey's mindset is. He said, Dad, I'm just trying to get better with my team. I'm trying to help my team. And it's all about playing my role to help my team. If that's for I need to score 20, I'll score 20. If I don't score and I can get a crucial offense or defensive rebound or deflection or stop, then that's what I'll do because – at the end of the day, it's all about winning. It's all about winning and doing your best. Do your best, compete, and let the chip fall where they may. That's all I ask. I always tell Trey, Trey, I don't care about your shots. I know you're going to shoot the ball well. I said, Trey, you haven't shot the ball well this year, and you're shooting 37 and a half, almost 38% from the three, and you haven't shot it well. I said, I'm not worried about that. I'm worried about you competing and rebounding and playing defense. That's it. That's it. The shot's going to take care of itself. The other things are the things that I grade you on. I don't grade you on your shots. I grade you on your competitiveness, your rebounding, and your defense. That's what I grade you on. And that's the thing that I say, concentrate on those things and let everything else take care of itself. Because as Coach Green says, 
the ball finds energy. The ball finds energy. You got energy on the defensive side of the ball. It helps that offense. It makes that offense come along a lot better. You're getting out in transition. You're getting early opportunities. You're getting dunks. You're getting layups. You're getting you're getting easy opportunities to score, which is going to fuel you to want to play defense. Why do you think when 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 teams score, they slap the floor back on defense? Cause they're ready to play. Cause they score. <laughs> Absolutely, um, Mr. Murphy. It's been a fantastic conversation. So you get, I, I thank you for giving me so much of your time. I hope you enjoyed it as well. Oh, uh, absolutely, David. Like I said, I really appreciate you. I really, and, and this is the one thing I told Shamid and, 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 and Chris is that, you know, most people who write for local media, um, I've seen it at, at UVA and stuff, they, they write without, I don't necessarily know, think the understanding of basketball, the ins and outs of basketball itself. So they write on what they perceive everything to be and not necessarily what it is and stuff. With you guys and with you guys, you guys know basketball and you see things and you you take things at a high level. You look at things at a high level of and you're not biased. You tell it like it is, but you're very supportive of the Pelicans. I mean, you it is what it is. The Pelicans have not had a five game winning streak in what three years now. <laughs> <laughs> you know that you, I know you watching yeah, me. This. Yeah, it, it is what it is. I mean, but I mean, still, I mean that that's a that's a monkey that hopefully after a win tonight and then they win in Sacramento and then win against Portland, we're gonna have a, a eight game winning streak. I mean, I don't know, but it's a fact. It's not throwing shade. It's a fact. It's stuff. So, but I mean, I just appreciate you uh, again. I appreciate you from day one. You've been um, pro Trey and. Again, we don't we don't want anything handed to us because, I mean, if if we give it handed to us, they can take it back so easily. We want to earn everything that we get. And that's what Trey's been about all his life. I want to earn everything that I get. Because, again, if I earn it, can't take it away from me. I think he's got a bright future here in New Orleans. And um, I, I look forward to us having another conversation again, whether it's online here or offline. Um, I just love to talk ball. And anybody who knows me knows that I'll talk ball all day long. <laughs> and, and, you know, I get down into the nuts and bolts. I'll get down. Into, I, I'll talk the big concepts. But my main thing is I love the game of basketball and I love people who love the game of basketball. So it's, it's been an honor to, to just shoot it with you. And, and, and even our offline conversation yesterday, just kicking it. Um, it was just it, it was it was fantastic. And, and uh, I just thank you again. Oh, no. Thank you for your time. And I appreciate it. And go Pales. Yes, sir. Enjoy the game tonight. Hope we come back. Uh, you hope we get that win, uh, second win out of LA, and then go over to Sacramento. Like you said, keep it going. Get that five. Yeah, exactly. Get, get that, that five. Because <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's a barrier. This, yeah, let's get four tonight, and then we'll worry about five on, on Tuesday night. So we got to get this four tonight. <laughs> yes, sir. Thank you so much. So on behalf of Kenneth Murphy, I am David Grubb, and this has been another edition of Hard to Paint. Y'all know how to follow me on Twitter and Instagram at DM Grub. Check it out and uh, make sure you like, make sure you subscribe, make sure you comment, all those things. Until the next time, y'all be good. Oh,